0: It's not about denying the things that are important to you. It's really about figuring out what is important to you and putting your money or your time as well towards those things. You're listening to the Winning to Wealth Podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth these stories will show you how to earn more money pay off debt start investing and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future now here's your host michael Lacey.
1: What's up, what's up, what's up teammates? This is episode 39 of the Winning to Wealth podcast and on this week's episode we're talking about early retirement and more specifically the expat journey to financial independence. I'm excited to have the creators behind our freedom years with me, Stephanie and Jillian Bat. Now, Stephanie and Jillian are originally from Canada and decided to move to Singapore to live a more adventurous life. Last year, they officially retired from their careers to travel the world, however... As we all know, Rona hit earlier this year and it completely altered their plans. So on this episode, we're going to discuss what gave them the desire to move, the logistics of moving around the world, their fire journey, and what early retirement life has been like pre and post Rona. Now, before we jump into this interview, be sure to head over to my private Facebook group where we talk all things money all the time. It's in there where I announce live Q&As and anything else cool that I decide to do. So head over to winningtowealth.com teammates and check that out. But hey, let's jump right into this interview with Stephanie and Jillian from ourfreedomyears.com. Stephanie and Jillian, I am so excited to have you here with me today. I have just done a lot of research on you guys and I I just find your story super interesting. So I'm very excited to jump in. And first of all, I just want to ask, how did you guys even meet?
0: Uh, okay, so uh, thank you so much for having us today, we are also equally excited to be speaking with you. Um, in terms of how we met, so you know, actually we we just had our anniversary, we've actually been married for 12 years now, we had to do some quick math to figure <laughs> that one out, but um, we met going back 14, around 14 years ago, yeah. um, at the time I was uh, in the Canadian military, and I had just been posted back to Toronto, which is my home city. And at that point, within I think just a couple weeks of me moving back, we were introduced by friends and basically we've been together ever since.
1: Wow. So, okay, can you talk a little bit about back when you met in those early days, how were you managing money as individuals at that point? Like was one of you a spender, one of you a saver Like, kind of what was your personalities with money around that time?
2: Sure. So we were pretty different. So um, in terms of our our money attitudes, um, I was definitely very comfortable with spending money. So I love brands. I love to pay a little bit extra to know that I'm getting something that's really special. Jillian was totally frugal. She counted every little penny. If she lost a dollar on anything, you would never hear the end of it. Um, So we actually kept our money separate. We made separate, um, we had separate accounts, we didn't merge our finances until the time when we were both on more of an equal footing. So Jillian had come into the relationship with some good savings, she had no debt. um, So she was able to put the down payment on our uh, new condo that we were getting. I came into the relationship at a higher income level. I'm a little bit older than Jillian, I was more advanced in my career. But I was also saddled with the debt from getting my graduate degree. So once we had sort of evened everything out, we were then comfortable merging our finances. And by that point, we had come together a little bit more in our attitudes.
1: So can you, okay, talk a little bit more about that dynamic of, again, one of you comes in as a spender, one of you comes (laughs) in as a saver, and you kind of are trying to get on equal footing. Like, what is that process like?
0: So the way Stephanie painted it, she made herself sound like she was someone who liked to spend a lot of money, which was not at all the case. I think it was more just in comparison to me, uh, you know, where I would always like I would never take a brand name if I thought the product was the same, whereas Stephanie was maybe just a little more susceptible. But but still, um, you know, she was she was someone who. Uh, like to be conservative in terms of her spending, so it was more just a kind of a fine tuning. Maybe I had a few tips that I learned along the way, things that I did that she said, "Hey, actually, this is no hardship. I can do this." And sort of, we kind of found that that common ground, and and we were able to move forward together.
1: Okay. And so, what was that process like? I mean, if you've been together for a while and things are separated, so then like once you decide to start putting everything together, what's that process like for you guys?
0: Um, yeah, I think, I think that before, before we actually said, okay, like we're, we're merging everything. We had reached that point where we were both comfortable with the spending that each of us was doing. And I think that was the key thing. So, um, you know, we weren't like scrutinizing what what each of us was spending, but we had a common understanding of what was appropriate and what kinds of things that, you know, you should talk to the other person about and which kind of things, you know, it's quite reasonable to go out and spend on. So we had that understanding first. And then when we went to merge, it was just basically we stopped dividing up the credit card bills every month, which, of course, we always paid in full, but, um, you know, um, dividing those costs up and we just opened a joint joint account and, and move forward from there. But I think, yeah, getting on that same page and just, you know, having open money conversations was probably the main thing to reach that point of common understanding.
1: I love that. And and I think those money conversations are super important, especially in a relationship. I mean, it's it's paramount. So I know at some point you guys decide to be a little crazy and move across the world. So what was happening in your lives at that point to where that became a viable option for you? So
2: it really started with a, an idea that I had. Um uh, so we had been a very average couple. So we, you know, we had the car, we had the condo, we were very focused on our careers. Um we were we were just very average. And we we did like to travel, though. Um, we tried to sneak out of uh, the country for, you know, a couple weeks every year. So that was sort of the limit that we could travel just like everyone else. And at one point, I, I became a little bit frustrated with that because I really had this interest in seeing the world. And, of course, Jillian did as well. She's a very adventurous person. And for me, I thought maybe my career is the ticket. Maybe if we could find jobs in another country, which seems a little wild and far out there, then we could be based somewhere else and we could explore that part of the world. And wouldn't that be amazing? Then we wouldn't have to just travel, you know, for two weeks every year. It could just be part of our lives. And... I turned to Jillian and I said, what about this idea? Are you on board? And as I said, she's very adventurous. And it had never occurred to her before, but she said, yes, we'll do it. We'll make this happen. And then that began a very long process of networking and trying to find jobs and making it happen. So it it was something that... Um, As it came to fruition, it was just, it was so exciting. Um, But again, it was it was a little unheard of. So none of our friends were doing it. Um, You know, in Canada, you barely move from city to city in your career, never mind, you know, leaving the continent entirely. If you do move anywhere, it would most likely be to the U.S. So this was something that no one had ever really heard of before. And then the fact that we were moving to this little country that really wasn't on anyone's radar, so that was Singapore... It just made it even even crazier, um, but with a lot of work, we were able to make it happen.
1: Gotcha. So Jillian, I mean, what was going through your mind at that time, when you approached with this idea?
0: So when she suggested uh, that we want that we could work somewhere else, live somewhere else, I was on board with the idea from the start because i've always been someone who if i I see something that sounds exciting usually i'll say let's do it before i even think about all the details and there were a lot of practical details and i remember uh i think stephanie landed on singapore as a good place for us to check out and i'm like great and then i quickly went and i had to pull out a map because i didn't even know where the heck it was (laughs) so after realizing that it's this tiny little country in asia i thought uh, this is this is great. It will put us in a, in a place that we can easily travel regionally, which so the thing with living in Canada is like, where, where can you go? You can go somewhere else in Canada, you can go somewhere in the US. But when you're somewhere like Singapore, you have the whole region at your at your footsteps. So that really got me excited. And just the idea of, you know, living in a different place, experiencing a different culture uh, for more than a week or two at a time. That was something that
2: got me really excited.
1: Okay. So you've mentioned Singapore. So how did you settle in on that location?
2: Well, I looked at a list of all of the countries in the world where English is the first language. And Singapore, again, a country I knew nothing about, was right on that list. Um, So it was based in Asia, and Asia was a region that was very interesting because it was obviously so far away from Canada. It's, you know, I think it's well known as a very dynamic region, so there's a lot of growth happening. I thought, how interesting. What an interesting place to be based. Why don't we see if we can make this happen? Um, And after we did a little bit of research, we discovered that it is, um, so it's, it's a small country, but there's a very strong um, expat population there because it's such a high growth country that they need a lot of people coming in with established skill sets because it's just growing faster than the local market can really support. So I could see it would be a great opportunity and we could integrate well because the language of business is, of course, English. So that it, 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 it worked in a couple of ways and it got us very excited. We did consider some other places as well. We, we also looked at Hong Kong But what we found when we compared them um, uh, in in Hong Kong, English is a language that's used commonly, but it is not the main one. Um, So that could be a challenge. Um, And also it's such a a densely populated place. Um, So Singapore was known as a more um, sort of relaxed pace. Um, So we could as Canadians, we could just ease on in there and it might be very nice. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) think if I can just add uh, the other attractive thing about Singapore would be the tax rate. And we knew that by living there and paying lower taxes that we would actually be in a position to save more money. So in addition to the things Stephanie mentioned, I think that was also a factor that came in for us.
1: You know, this is something that becoming an expat is something that my wife and I, we talk about frequently. Like it's, it's becoming more and more a topic uh, as we go on and the one thing that we keep coming back to is just like friends and family and yeah. like how tough that is. So, mm. can you talk a little bit about that dynamic of like how your friends and family reacted and then how you guys felt about again, moving across the world and leaving behind friends and family and all those things.
0: It was it was definitely something that that we thought a lot about and and thought, you know, are we going to feel really disconnected from the people we love, you know, are we going to be like strangers when we when we come back? And it's actually been quite surprising the 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 impact that it has had so if if i talk about my relationship with my parents for example i was living in toronto but i was not super close to my folks and we would see each other to be honest it, actually it's embarrassing to admit how infrequently There might be like a month that would go in between that we would actually see each other even though we were living in the same city but once we moved away we made such an active uh, effort to keep in touch so we would be talking like every weekend and with all the new ways to keep in touch you know like WhatsApp, you know all the ways of messaging talking i feel like we've been in touch with our family like way more than we ever were before so that worked out fine obviously the face to face um is different but once you Adjust the virtual connections can be like very rich as well, and the other thing was um, we had a lot of family come out to visit us and spend longer periods of time staying with us, and often we would travel with them too. So really, it's been this move has impacted everybody, got everybody traveling more, and and actually, yeah, not not been too hard in terms of those relationships with with friends. I would say it's been a little bit harder. Um, The main thing was that uh so speaking from my own experience you know i had gone off uh, and joined the military coming straight out of high school and so my friends from way back you know i had a small group of friends that i've kept in touch with all the way through um so those friends you know I've, i've kept in touch while moving to different places. So those relationships were already established, those kind that you don't necessarily see each other all the time, but you still stay close. And then my friends from from the military, they're also used to moving around. So similarly, you know, we're used to being a bit more remote in our relationships. But I think the main thing for me has been, you know, to have a core group of people. I might not be keeping up with, you know, 50 different people super close, but I have that that core group that, you know, we stay in touch and and that feels pretty good for me.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So let's jump right into, you know, you guys ultimately decide to take that leap. Right. And so what is that process like of moving? Like, are you selling stuff? How do you find a place to live? I mean, I just have so many questions <laughs> about like the process itself of moving. So like, can you talk about just your experience with that?
2: Sure. It, it actually started, um, it, it started with landing a job first. So um, we had uh, several months of doing some very intensive networking. So just to clarify, um, we did not have the luxury of a company picking us up and moving us over to work at you know a branch in another country. We had to do it all on our own. Um, so we started off by building our networks. Um, we eventually moved into doing some informational interviews and then interviewing for actual jobs. And then um, because I was working in a in more of a high demand niche that was very busy in, in Singapore, I was able to get a contract fairly quickly, which was Great, um, so but that meant we also had to suddenly take action. We had to be in Singapore two months later. Um, so we did have to go through uh, quite a process of unwinding our our homes in Canada. And Jillian can talk a little through the logistics because that was her area of specialty. Sure.
0: So so like Stephanie said, we we basically just had a couple months to make the move happen, and we were doing it all ourselves, sorting everything ourselves. So we uh, knew that. So the funny difference between between the US and Canada is that in Canada, you can actually break your residency ties with the country, which means you don't have to pay any taxes back to Canada on the income you earn overseas. So that is like a huge perk of how our tax system is built. But to do that, you have to take some specific steps that involve things like uh, either selling or renting out your your residence. Basically, selling all your things. We sold our car. We did sell our our, our condo, um, and all we and we downsized as much as possible. And all we had left was uh, some items that went into a storage locker, um, and then we, yeah, packed p- packed our remaining bags, got a got on the plane, and went. Um, I'd say maybe the other slight complication we had was we had uh, our one dog at the time who came with us and was a bit of a bigger dog uh, who couldn't ride in the cabin like our current dogs can. So that was another complication, kind of sorting out all the, the process to bring our pet. But um, yeah, it was just like a quick kind of, we somehow did it. Looking back, I don't know how, but we we managed. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we we moved with the intention of being there for a couple of years. That's what we told ourselves, and we certainly told that to all of our friends and family, we said it's just a couple of years. So for that reason, we didn't um, sell all of our belongings. We we did put them into yeah. storage. So we had... We downsized
0: some, yes.
2: but not nearly the amount that we <laughs> would have looking back. Yeah,
0: But yeah, we 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 had in our minds we weren't sure how long we'd be away yes so just initially we we put we still had our furniture and everything we put into storage and what it made it easier uh arriving in singapore to get set up was that we actually rented a furnished place so it was everything was there for us we were able to start work very soon after arriving and and uh fortunately uh singapore has has places like Ikea, you know, typical places you'd you'd look to to go to get set up. So it wasn't too difficult to settle in in that sense, you know, to find what we needed, which, uh, yeah, I didn't have the same sort of culture shock of maybe some other places might.
1: Gotcha. So you're in a new place, new culture, new careers, just new everything, new furniture, new all of that. So what were some of those initial challenges going back to those early days, you know, in terms of getting settled in?
2: Well, I think probably the biggest shock, and I, I think this would be for almost anyone, moving to the tropics, you know, it, the the temperature, when you look ahead, you're sitting in Canada and it's usual Canadian weather, you look at the temperature, oh, it's every day in Singapore, it's over 30 degrees. That's um, so Celsius. Celsius. So, what, it, you, Jillian will tell us what that is in <laughs> Fahrenheit. Um it is like that every single day for 365 days a year. Yeah. So there is no respite from the heat. Um, and you literally can't really go outside mm-hmm. um, at the peak heat of day.
0: Yeah. So, it, for reference, it's above 85 every day with high, high humidity. Like every Sounds single like day. <laughs> <laughs> we should have come down there to get acclimatized,
2: <laughs> get ourselves yeah. ready. Yeah. So that was a bit of a shock. Um, so, you know, that, so that was the weather part of it. And then the other part of it was, um, I think, Integrating into the workplace, so on the surface, it it seems very familiar. Um, so people are all speaking English um, in the workplace. Although and, you
0: do hear a lot of
2: Mandarin, mm-hmm. uh,
0: yeah, you'll you'll hear some other languages, but the, but you know, meetings, everything would all be done in
2: English. Everything's done in English, so it feels very familiar, and it's all the same companies that we're used to. All the same global companies are located there, so everything seems very comfortable. But as we spent more time as the months went by, we realized that actually there are a lot of differences under the surface. So as as foreigners coming in, it's things that we wouldn't pick up on right away, but actually they, there are a lot of differences. So there are differences in the office culture, for example. So it's very hierarchical. Um, young people have a tendency to, you know, keep their opinions to themselves because you want to be respectful. Whereas in North America, we like our young people very opinionated because that shows they're thinking about things. Um, so it's just some, some different, approaches to the culture. Um, there is a very strong culture of people as a group all eating lunch out together for at least an hour, if not an hour and a half or two hours every day, um, which is a little bit different for, you know, from North America, where we like sit at our desk and eat our lunches, um, and try to get back to work as quickly as possible.
0: On the flip side, uh, there's this long lunch, but then also the working hours really stretch into the evening and there doesn't really seem to be much push to leave. Like, I've always felt like I was kind of sneaking out. You know, it's past six. I'm like, you know, I'm done what I need to get done. I kind of sneak <laughs> out. People are just settling in, you know, settling in for the evening to continue work. So, yeah, that was something quite different for me. Yeah, yeah.
1: So how did you guys adjust to all of that? Specifically the the career thing, right, with there just being a different dynamic with younger people and, and how we act over here versus there. How do you address and overcome that?
0: Well, I, I'm sure like – I'm sure that there were a lot of blunders that I committed, <laughs> those that I sometimes maybe wasn't aware of, and then some I definitely was. And I think that, um, us being foreigners, there's a bit of sort of forgiveness for that, uh, those sort of, uh, faux pas that we might, might commit. And there may have even been times when I, knew that maybe I was going to say something that might not be the right thing but I felt it was important and I I used that as my cover you know oh they'll think I'm just a foreigner so I'm just saying saying how I
2: see it right so mm-hmm. yeah I think uh, that was the one of the things that was the most helpful for us in integrating and understanding the culture better was making local friends so one of the things that you do see expats doing in new countries is sort of clustering together um, and often by nationality so there are a lot of Australians so a lot of Australian activities happening together you know whatever the different groups are Um, but what we would recommend for anyone and and this is what we did for ourselves is we um, we made local friends and they were people who could kind of open up their lives to us and help us understand some of the nuances that we were seeing or how the local culture was so we found that to be that was quite enriching and it really helped us enjoy our time there.
1: So, okay. And so at this time, you know, as you're settling in and all the is the fire movement is all that on your mind at this point or is that something that comes in later?
0: That definitely came in later, although, you know, in during my time in the military, the idea of retiring early uh, was something that occurred because at that time I knew that I would be able to have a pension at 20 at twenty years and so on. So I kind of had that in, in the back of my mind kind of early on. But at the time when we first were in Singapore, first few years, we were not really thinking about it. We were just uh, working, kind of living the dream, or at least on paper, you know, we were sort of living the dream, but at the same time, we were kind of having these feelings like that the, the daily life was a bit of a grind. We were still working corporate jobs, working long hours, and as much as we enjoyed those, you know, the, the getaways that we were taking, we, we still felt like we were part of the rat race. And that's around the time when we did come across the fire movement and realized this is something that people were doing, uh, and then we got more serious about it.
2: Although. I will say we so we came at it from very different perspectives. So Julian became disenchanted with working life a lot sooner than me. So she she kept bringing up to me, you know, I wish I could be doing something different. I don't know what it is. And I kept saying to her, I love what I'm doing. I love being type A, stressed out, you know, trying to climb that corporate ladder. I didn't realize there would be any other option. And I had always been so career focused. So it never even occurred to me, like, why would you ever want to retire early? Like, what is that? Um, so she would come over to me with spreadsheets and say, you know, Do you see how these numbers work? Do you you see how we could actually leave our jobs at some point? And I just, I, I thought it was all nonsense. But at some point while I was working, I became very burnt out. So I had a very, um, as I moved up in my career, uh, the job just became more and more high pressure. And in in that sort of that final year before coming to the understanding that, oh, there's a different way to do things, I was working, I was working nights, I was working early mornings, weekends, I just never had a break. And no matter how much I did, there was always more to do. So it was just, it just seemed never ending. And although I had always derived a lot of personal satisfaction from, from, you you know, being focused on my job, um, it felt like I was giving everything and it actually, it wasn't worth it. It was no longer worth it. And I was finally ready to have that conversation with Jillian about what else our life could look like.
1: At the beginning of this, we talked about just your different personalities, spender, saver, all those things. You guys come together. You discover the fire movement, right? And so I'm just curious, one, how were you managing money at that time? Like how well were you guys doing? And two, what financial changes did you have to make as a result of deciding, you know what, maybe this is the direction that we want to go in?
0: We had always been, I'll say, pretty good with money. Um, Saving was something that I had always done, you know, always make sure to put something aside for, for myself. And and once we were together, we were both saving. Um, so yeah, during, during those years in Singapore, we were saving and investing. Um, just to, if you want me to touch on investments a bit, you know, we went through the usual like, oh, start out with some higher fee mutual funds, that kind of thing. <laughs> then, you know, we kind of Got, got our money back into our own control, but then weren't exactly sure what we should be doing with it, so we tried a few different things. Um, ultimately landing on, uh, sort of low cost index fund investing, which is where we are now, but some experimenting along the way. So we had sort of navigated in terms of our, our saving and investing before really deciding that we wanted to, uh, to become financially independent and, you know, transition to uh, a life of freedom. Mm-hmm. When we decided to start working towards financial independence, Uh, Stephanie swung from being quite reluctant to being so on board that she was driving all the changes that that we needed to make, which included really getting a good understanding of all our expenses, first of all, um, and then trying to see which of these are really bringing value in our life and which of these do we just really don't don't need to spend on or the ones that we would rather reduce in order to prioritize how we might spend our money a bit later in life. And also during that time, we were figuring out what would our future lifestyle look like and how much would we need in order to live that lifestyle. So we went through a whole phase of reducing costs, some experimentation in there to figure out what are those things that you know, it's not about denying the things that are important to you. It's really about figuring out what is important to you and putting your money or your time as well towards those things. So that's the process that we went through for a few years as we as we made our way and figured out um, how much we needed and, and work towards that goal.
1: So I want to go back to something, a couple of things that you mentioned there. You mentioned kind of trying to figure out your investing strategy before you got to this point of wanting to reach fire. And so, can you talk about a little about that process?
2: So as Jillian mentioned, we we did have a period of experimentation. And I will be honest, I was not the one doing the experimenting. I was just the one who kept saying things like, what about this? Why don't we invest in that? And then Jillian would do all the hard work of researching, you know, what are those different opportunities? So we tried different things. Um, we tried to invest, we tried to time the market, which, you know, is not the <laughs> smart thing to do. But we we tried to invest in the energy sector, specifically in Canada. And we, we, we invested when it was down and then we waited until it went back up and then we sold. And we made a little bit of money, but what we learned is that we were way out of our depth and we should never do that again because we could lose a lot of money.
0: We realized we just got lucky and that was it and that we should stick with what we knew and we certainly didn't know anything about oil and gas.
2: We also, while we were living in Singapore, of course you see the investment opportunities that are around you, Singapore had a booming real estate market. I mean lots of people had become very rich off real estate in singapore and we thought we don't know anything about this but why not get in the game so we invested in um, a, a handful of real estate investment trusts that were based in singapore and then over the next few years we watched as some of them did well and then others tanked so that was another flag like oh maybe we need to be a bit more diversified than investing in just a few little real estate investment trusts that are in one tiny tiny little country so all of that led us to having some principles for how we wanted to do our investing so fortunately we learned a lot and what we learned is we did want to be diy investors we did want to be self-directed and and be accountable for what we were investing in we wanted to be extremely diversified so we never again wanted to you know pour money into like one single sector (laughs) the way we did uh and
0: then we wanted to buy and hold. We knew that we were in it for the long the long run. And along with that goes that we weren't gonna time the market. You know, uh, we just buy and hold, not, you know, sell when it goes down, buy when it goes up, none of that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So th- those are the the different elements that led us to eventually committing to the low cost index investing of a, um, a very global um, index fund.
1: When you when you come across the fire movement, right? Did you have a, an initial target date in mind, or some you know time period that you were aiming for to become financially independent?
0: We we did. So we had an initial uh, target. We knew how much more we needed to save, and we figured out roughly how long we thought it would take. Um and as we worked towards it uh, and we got really, let's say, quite hungry for it, you know, uh, <laughs> we managed to shrink that that timeline down a bit. So that was, you know, very motivating as you see that, you know, the more changes that you make, the closer you can get towards your goal. It's uh, you know, very, very motivating.
1: So you ultimately you reach fire, right? And so what was the process of winding your careers down? Like what was that like?
2: Well, in Singapore, there is an exceptionally long notice period. So we have always been used to the two weeks notice, and that means you're sort of out the door quicker than you realize. In Singapore, um, depending on your level of seniority, it it can be two months, it can be three months. So it's a very long period of time. So we had plenty of time to say goodbye to people and to, you know, sort of hand over all of our projects. In fact, it was so much time, you know, it was more time than I, I I mean, every day that went by was agony waiting because we knew we had this really (laughs) exciting life on the other end of it. Um, During that time, we didn't share with people Exactly what we were doing. We just shared that we had come to a place in our lives where we wanted to travel. So we were, we were going to leave Singapore. And that was very normal to the people that we worked with, because being expats, there is an expectation that you um, are in the country for a period of time, and then you might move your career over to a different country, or even have a break for a while, as many people do. Um, so none of that was unexpected to people. We did not share with them that we had reached financial independence, nor did we educate them on what financial independence was. Um, so so to, our, um, to our workplace peers, it was just a matter that we were you know, sort of closing up shop and heading off for some adventures.
1: And so can you explain to the listeners like now, right now you don't have that traditional income. So how are you able to cover your expenses without an income?
0: So, um, something that was important to me as we moved into this was I, I wanted to have some kind of system where there would be money coming into our account every month that would feel something like getting a salary. I was a little nervous about having to, um, sell off, uh, our, our investments just to fund our expenses, knowing that I would be very reluctant to do so. And I could see us trying to live off like less and less and getting really miserable. And, you know, so I didn't want that situation. So, um, what we did was we um, have uh, part of our investments are in fixed income and the amount, basically the returns from those fixed income investments are what fund our day to day living expenses. Um, and I can give a little more detail yeah, if, sure. if you like. Um, so we're invested in uh, syndicated mortgages uh, on that uh fixed income side. And so um, these are mortgages typically, they're for construction loans. And um, in order to diversify in this, we hold very tiny pieces of many, many different mortgages. So it's spread. Uh, so that helps spread the risk a little bit, um, of course, with, with real estate, as with any other? This is basically a real estate-linked investment. Uh, there is some some risk with with property values, so so that's what we do. We try to diversify. Um, but why we like it, I think, is the the return on the syndicated mortgages is quite a bit higher than what you typically get from from bonds or most other um, fixed income that you'd think of. So I think that's really what what appealed to us.
1: Okay. And so, I mean, obviously one thing that we just have to touch on is just given the current events of today, I mean, we've seen just the market, you know, go south as quickly as it could and and all these other things, it's going back up and down and all this volatility. So how have you managed that um, financially and emotionally being, you know, someone who's newly retired?
2: So we we did have a risk management strategy in place however we did not predict a global pandemic <laughs> like many people we didn't see that one coming um, but fortunately the principles of our risk management stay the same no matter what so um, you know while we were quite surprised by the events very shocked like everyone else um, we did have some foundation in place that gave us a lot more confidence that we could weather this storm um, you know it wasn't what we would have expected or wanted six months into our early retirement but it fortunately it was something we're prepared for. So just a couple elements of of our approach, we of course we have an emergency fund in place. And this became very handy when we had to have a very sudden unexpected rescue flight from Italy to Canada. So we were able to pay for it with confidence, knowing that it could come out of our emergency fund. Um, We also have a year's worth of our expenses held in a um, a high rate savings account. So we have ready access to the cash we need if our regular cash flow is interrupted. Um, And then all of this, of course, is on the back of a diversified portfolio. So, you know, as we talked about the um, index fund being very global, and then And of course, we have a very, um, you know, although it is all in real estate, um, it is very diversified within that.
1: So once you guys reach financial independence, like what was your plan going forward from that point? Like what were you, what adventures were you desiring to set out on and all those things?
0: So um, the day, I guess the day we'll call the day we reached financial independence was also my last day at work and it was also the day we got on a plane and flew from Singapore to Poland with our two dogs all on that same day so it was pretty exciting and we, we actually made our first YouTube video on that day too so you could actually see the whole thing unfold <laughs> pretty exciting um, and uh, so we, that was the first uh, the first leg of our travels in Europe which we we did for, for six months which was yeah our, our life on the road our dream for our freedom years was to to be traveling and experiencing different cultures so so we did that for for the first six months
1: so okay can you talk about just some of the experiences you were able to have in that in that six-month time frame
0: um sure so we started off and had a a few weeks in poland um, and then we took a train over to the ukraine both great countries, we really enjoyed our time there, um, but the weather was getting a little cooler and we decided to head south to uh, to Turkey. And we spent a good chunk of time in Turkey. And I have to say, I hadn't thought that much about Turkey before going there as a, as a traveler, but I, I honestly would really recommend Turkey as a fantastic place to visit. Uh, we enjoyed Istanbul. We also really enjoyed the, the turquoise coast, which is along the Mediterranean in the south. The the weather was really comfortable all through the coldest winter months. Um, You know, still need a jacket sometimes, but we were able to get out hiking. You know, the food is good. The natural surroundings are just beautiful. You have the mountains in the background. You've got the Mediterranean ocean in front of you. So we really enjoyed our time. And then we moved on to Italy, which was our last stop and where things got a little wild and crazy. Um, But we did uh, enjoy our time in, in Florence first. Then sort of the outbreak started and we ended up um, kind of holding in place uh, in a, a friend's place actually up near Lake Como. And that's when we made the decision to try and make our way back to Canada because it became very clear that further travel around Europe was not gonna be possible for the foreseeable future. So yeah, we just uh, rejigged our plan. And the beauty of being retired is you can be flexible, you can change where you are and what you're doing. And, and we were able to, to make that happen, come back and, um, and now spend this time connecting with friends and family.
1: Gotcha. So I guess looking back just over the totality of the journey from when you decided to leave the first time until now, I mean, is there anything that, you know, maybe you looking back on it, go, you know what, if we had done this, we could have done it sooner or done things quicker or maybe been a little more efficient. Is there just like maybe one or two tips that um, you would give your younger selves?
2: Oh, for the whole journey. <laughs> That's yeah. a good question. The one tip, and this one is, this one's really for a young Stephanie. <laughs> so I'm telling to myself, um, the one thing that I would have done differently from an early age, I would have tracked my spending. And I know that sounds really simple, but that actually was one of the foundational pieces to us being able to become financially independent and retire early. So when I was younger, all the way through until just a couple years ago, I never tracked my spending. I never looked at what I was spending on. And the money would just, you know, even when I was young, um, and I didn't have much of it, but it all flew out anyway, just, you know, on everyday living, things I didn't necessarily value, buying a coffee here every day before Going into work. um, Spending for no reason. So these are things if if I had just if, if I had taken the time to track what I was spending from an early age and I could understand, you know, I'm earning this money at work, and then I'm just throwing it away on buying a takeout lunch five days a week, you know, I think those lessons would have really sunk in a lot sooner and we could have been further ahead probably. Yeah.
0: Because the thing is uh, when when you're spending these small amounts on things, it seems small and you say, yeah, this makes my day better. You know, I like this coffee, whatever it is. Until you look at it all added up, Then you're not really make, you're not in a position to make the decision about it. And if you see the total and you say, hey, this is worth it, that's fine. But maybe you'll see the total and say, okay, I think I can adjust in, in this area. I mean, a good example of this for us was the amount that we were spending on, um, food that we did not cook at home so (laughs) yeah whether it be you know whether it be restaurants or takeout meals that kind of thing i think uh especially over the years in singapore there's a real eating out culture there often during the workday it can be uh not too expensive there are a lot of affordable eating options but there are also a lot of the higher end options and the go-to when you meet up with people when you're being social is always to go out and eat somewhere and so This was something that we did enjoy, uh, enjoyed doing, but we knew that the total we were spending on that category was way more than we thought we needed to. And so then we just thought, okay, you know, How how can we still enjoy that time with friends without necessarily going out and spending it at a restaurant? And that's when we started doing more things at home, we would host them, we would do theme nights, you know, make Mexican night, Japanese make sushi, all this fun stuff. And and I mean, it cost less. We had just as much fun. So, but only by seeing that total, did we really realize just how big a difference that that could make.
1: Gotcha. I love that. So that's been a recurring theme for a lot of the people who have reached fire and uh, become millionaires and done all these great things on the podcast is tracking your spending. So I'm glad that you guys shared that as well. So the final thing I have for you is to just share anything you have to offer that you think would benefit our listeners or where they can find you if they want to follow along on this journey.
2: Sure. So we we have our our YouTube channels. You mentioned so um, they can find us at our Freedom Years uh, on YouTube, also on Instagram and Twitter, and that's where we we try to share um, our strategies for how we got here and how we have planned out a life that we're really enjoying. So we share um, strategies for financial independence, how tos for early retirement, and of course, we also are bringing people along our trips with us. So we share some high of each of our destinations. And one of the things that we get asked about the most, how much we are spending in each place. So that's one question that always comes up because I guess people are planning their own dream trips and their own dream lifestyles for once they have retired. Um, so, you know, we're glad that we can be a resource for that as well.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, you guys be sure to go check out their YouTube channel, Our Freedom Years. I'm going to link to that in the show notes page, which you can find at winning slash episode 39. But definitely go check that out. I've seen a couple of their videos. They are awesome. Uh, they look like a lot of fun. So again, go check that out. Find it at the show notes, winning slash episode 39. And now it's time for this week's win of the week. Stephanie and Jillian are this adventurous couple, right? That loves to travel. And so they moved to Singapore to have maximum flexibility and to be able to travel the region and do all these great things. But while they're there, Stephanie gets burnt out in her career. And she didn't just accept that this was her life until she reached retirement age. Instead, they decided to pursue a different path. They created a plan that aligned with their values. And that plan led them to early retirement, which allows them to live the adventurous life they wanted in the beginning all along. So the takeaway from this is you have control over your life. You can make whatever changes necessary. So some can be huge, like moving to a different continent, and some can be smaller, like cutting back on spending in areas that aren't aligned with your values. But you have the power to change your life. So seize that power. Make the most of it. We only get one crack at this. And if you're looking for some help to get started on your own journey, be sure to download my free book entitled Winning to Wealth. In this book, I lay out some simple steps that will put you on the path to financial independence. So head over to winningtowealth.com playbook and download your free copy today. That's winningtowealth.com playbook to download your free copy today. Also, if you enjoyed this interview with Stephanie and Jillian, be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this so that you can stay up to date on the latest podcast episodes. But hey, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. Until we talk again, keep racking up those wins one at a time. Take care.
0: You've wrapped up another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. To learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions, head over to winningtowealth.com.